You're listening to Shit Adults Never Taught Us, the podcast where we talk shit in a good way. We're back. It's been a minute, but season three is finally here. This year has been packed for me, so thank you guys so much for just sticking with me while I got season three together. I've spent the last year buying and renovating a house, which, trust me, we will talk about because it's been surprisingly time-consuming, and yes, there is an episode in season three about it. I've also written my next book, which you will hear about at the end of season three, so keep listening for details on that, but for now, let's just jump right into season three. It's definitely worth the wait, I promise. One thing I want to flag is that during my downtime from this podcast and the move and everything, my microphone stopped working. So in this episode, as well as a couple episodes throughout the season, I have a stand-in microphone, which quality isn't the best, but it totally works. And they're not recorded in order, so apologies, there are just a couple episodes, but like you can probably hear right now, the setup is not 100% perfect yet, still figuring that out. So thank you guys for hanging in there with me while I fix that. But my guest microphone is incredible. I know you're not supposed to have favorites, but this season is turning into my favorite, and a big part of that is my first guest of season three. She's someone I've been wanting to interview for a really long time. I first came across Zoe through a CNN article in 2021. The headline read, she flew to Tonga for a weekend. 18 months later, she's still stuck there. Zoe's story is incredible. She's a fellow traveler who just had her love of travel turn into a unique pandemic story. While the rest of us were wearing masks and spraying our groceries with Lysol and doing all those Zoom meetings, Zoe had a vacation that turned into an entirely different life, completely unintentionally. Since then, she's rejoined the world and continued to travel, most recently to North Korea, and we talk about everything. I could give a full 30-minute intro to Zoe because the conversation was that fascinating, but I'm so excited for you guys to hear it, so I'm just going to end it here. Enjoy. Welcome, Zoe. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited. I was just saying I followed your story for, I guess it's been two years now since I first read the article, Mm -hmm. and the concept, because I had what could have turned out to be a very similar story where I was traveling in early 2020 and I landed in China in January, end of January, 2020 (sighs) for just just a long layover. And then I went on to Bali and Singapore and Malaysia and Cambodia. And then I came home and I was supposed to go to Vietnam. They'd closed their borders as things started to shift throughout Asia. I was like, oh shit, I think I have to go home. You had a very different experience. Can you just talk a little bit about your experience? Yeah, just all you recall recalling all of that then like really brings it back because yeah, so I I kind of went a bit different because I left China in January 2020. Um, actually, I had already planned to leave China in January 2020 uh, because I was doing a language course in South Korea. And that basically meant that I was out of China whilst everyone started talking about COVID. So I basically decided, you know, at that time, it was still this China thing, right? It was the China virus, whatever. So at that time, I was like, OK, I'm not going back to China for the next couple of weeks. Like um, I had a holiday planned already to Fiji in March. And like basically my company told me like, you know, we have no work at the moment because I worked in tourism and that was off for the time being. So they were like, hey, you know, maybe you could take your holiday now instead of March, thinking that it would all be over by March. 
So I went to Fiji and traveled around the South Pacific for a month, which was nice, like kind of like you traveling around Bali and stuff like that. You know, like there wasn't really any, there was no COVID over there. Like it was just kind of normal. And then all of a sudden things started to change. Um, everyone in Fiji started to uh, talk about COVID, like all the time, all the foreigners around me, it was really, really stressful. And I think at that point, I decided it was must have been about mid-March I decided okay this thing is gonna stick around for maybe a couple more weeks um I may as well go back to China and just just write it out there and so I decided that on the Wednesday um and I booked my flight for the following Wednesday there's only a flight once a week and um, so I booked my flight for the following Wednesday and that's in important to this story because I had the weekend and I was surrounded I was like in a big city in Fiji and I decided I wanted to be away from all the foreigners talking and it was making me very very anxious like I think everyone can relate to like a bit of COVID anxiety and stuff like did not want to be around all of that and so actually when you're traveling the South Pacific it's it's they have this weird thing a lot of the time it's cheaper to actually fly to different countries than at least in Fiji like if I wanted to go to any of the outer islands and stuff it would have been the same price for me to go to like a different country in the South Pacific for like a weekend so I was like hey you know whilst I have a weekend here um, I want to get away I want to go somewhere that has no foreigners just by myself and so I chose a country called Tonga to fly to for the weekend I flew there on the Friday. I was supposed to come back on the Monday. And as soon as I got there, as soon as I arrived, the taxi driver said to me like, oh, COVID in Fiji. And I'm like, what? No, there's no COVID in Fiji. It's all fine. The South Pacific is fine. Anyway, long story short, as I was in flight, Fiji announced um, its first cases of COVID and for those people that, that don't know, like Fiji's kind of a travel hub over there, you know, like a lot of people transfer through Fiji to get to the smaller outer islands um, and smaller countries in the South Pacific. And so once Fiji declared it, all of the other countries in the South Pacific were like, OK, we are shutting our borders. Basically, I tried to leave Tonga the next day. I was not permitted to leave. Um, and then I tried to get another flight to New Zealand um, and then I wasn't allowed and yeah, and a year and a half later. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. were stuck there for 18 months. But I mean, before yes. we get deep into what that was like, were you considering other options? Like I remember when they were closing borders around Vietnam and stuff, I couldn't get into the country. But mm -hmm. I was worried that Cambodia, which is the country I was in as that was happening, would eventually close the borders. And I was already looking up what about trains or renting mm. or buying a motorcycle? I mean, I know when you're on an island, that's not necessarily yeah. an option. But <laughs> what about like other alternatives? Were you looking at chartering a boat or other options? Yeah, genuinely. And so many times um, it's funny because I remember saying that I literally said this to my next door neighbors in March. I said, um, if I'm not if I'm still here by my birthday, which is November the 1st, then I, I'm getting a boat. I'm chartering a boat out here. My neighbors were recalling this story about how they had a friend who, who did just get this random boat, a really tiny boat, had no sailing experience um, and made it all the way to New Zealand. So I was like, okay, I could totally do that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in the end, I mean, it's funny because I say, you know, I was there for 18 months and, you know, the, the story is that I was stuck there, right? And I think it's important that people know like there's varying degrees of being stuck. So there were points when I 
literally couldn't leave the island like there were points where I had nowhere to go like I couldn't get out no one could get in it was all very strict then there were also points where like for example there was a repatriation flight sent to get Europeans um, and it was sent to get from Germany to sent to get all the Europeans who were stuck on these Pacific islands so it was like a two-day trip it was going to stop off at all of the Pacific islands um, which you know there's a long distance between them like it's like two hour distance between them it's it's a vast amount of ocean that just has these tiny little islands in it right so it was going to take a long time so anyway that was taking all the Europeans back to Germany and I decided not to get that because at that time in March 2020 you know we we no one knew that it was going to last this long my life was not in Europe like I was waiting to get back into China right and it didn't make any sense for me to go to Europe like I have I have no home. I have nowhere to stay. Like I, my job is not in Europe. So I was like, why would I go back to Europe? And also funnily enough, I had left all of my stuff in Fiji because I was going for like a weekend trip to Tonga. So I literally just took like a weekend bag with me because I didn't want to take a big suitcase. So I just had my weekend stuff and all of my stuff was in Fiji. So I was like, why, why would I take this flight to, back to Europe? It doesn't make any sense. Um, and so I didn't take that. So that was my first opportunity that I literally could have been unstuck, but I remained. And then for the following months, I was very much stuck. And even up until my birthday and after my birthday, I was very much stuck. Like there was no possibility to get any flights out. And then uh, there was a few opportunities. You know, I was hearing about a couple of people kind of making it out. But the problem with that is, is it was so stressful to try to leave because so as many people as I knew that were leaving, like two or three, you know, there were double that amount that were being sent home from the airport. And for me, like I was in such a difficult mental place that I didn't, I don't, I couldn't have dealt with like, you know, getting up to that point of just being able to leave and then being turned away at the airport. Like I was in a, a pretty fragile mental state and I was like, I don't want that. Like I can't deal with that. So. I decided to just stop trying because there was a period of time for a couple of months that I really, really tried to leave and I couldn't leave. And that was, I found that really, really difficult. So then I decided to stop trying to leave. Then fast forward a few months, basically I was still waiting for China to open. Um, so the, when I say trying to leave, I then mean back to Europe after the repatriation flight. So then I decided, okay, no, I will try and leave back to Europe. And then after that didn't work for a few months, I then decided, okay, no, I'll still wait for China. Basically, long story short, um, there was some moments of being literally stuck. There was some moments of just being like kind of mentally stuck. Um, and in the end, the funny thing is, I know we're like skipping the whole 18 months here, but um, in the end, what actually happened was when I did try to leave and I thought that I had everything ready and obviously I'd said all my goodbyes the very thing that I was terrified of happening the whole time actually happened like I got to the airport and I was turned away at the airport and not allowed to board the flight and then I had to get the flight the following week and it just shows you how difficult it was to leave and that's because you know there's very very limited flights all of the different country restrictions around the area you had to comply with so for example um, in order to transit through New Zealand you had to have an ongoing flight within a certain time frame and they would constantly change this time frame it would either be you have to have a transfer within two hours or 10 hours or 24 hours and it would constantly change so um and then you have to transfer to the next country and follow their rules as well so it was like a complete 
puzzle and even 18 months later I didn't get that puzzle right and I wasn't allowed to board the plane did they give you a reason why you weren't allowed to board the plane yeah so basically um uh, ridiculous because it was the UK's rules so that they that they were citing and they were worried that uh, it was New Zealand that wouldn't let me into the country to transfer because New Zealand were worried that when I get to the UK, they wouldn't accept my COVID, um, my COVID test because it would be out of the hour range, which was to me was so ridiculous because one, um, they didn't factor in the time difference. So actually, my COVID test was fine. It's just that they didn't factor in the time difference there. And by the time that I tried to explain this to them, then they, they they were like, we have to board the flight. Everyone is waiting to get the flight. You know, the, I couldn't hold up the flight anymore to explain it to them. And also the most ridiculous thing was, is when I eventually got back the following week, that like I walked through the airport in the UK and no one checked me. Like it was like normal. Like I was waiting for people like in hazmat suits and stuff like that. And everyone to like want my documents. I just breezed right through. I did not do any COVID checks or any, no one checked any papers. So that was frustrating, but never mind. Nobody, nobody knew what was happening. It seemed when I first landed in March, 2020 or end of February, 2020, it's such a blur now that I'm like, I don't even know when it was. <laughs> All they did at the LAX customs was they took my temperature. They asked if I felt okay. They asked if I'd been in China for the past 14 days and I breezed right by. There were no mm. follow-up questions. Nobody knew what to do. And then even since then in 2021, I was traveling throughout Europe and I went through Amsterdam and they were oh, yeah. so strict and oh. you had to provide a COVID test even for a layover. I was only there like 45 minutes and wow. you had to provide a COVID test within 24 hours. But I was traveling and nobody knew when the 24 hours was. Was it 24 hours from I... when you board the plane, from when you're going to land? No one knew. And it was very frustrating. And then the UK, I had the same thing. In yeah. early 2022, I went to Barcelona and I had a layover in Heathrow in London. Oh, yeah. And nobody at the check-in for British Airways could tell me. I had read online that it was fine to do like an antigen test. And they were like, no, PCR only. And then they were like, it has to be 24 hours from when you land. No, it's 24 hours from when you take off. Nobody oh. knew anything. It's frustrating. So frustrating. And like, I still think even now today, like, you know, no one knows what's going on. <laughs> but in a way, why? I mean, you're from, you grew up in Europe, yes? Yeah. Yeah, I grew so, up in the UK. So while you're watching all of this unfold throughout the entire rest of the world, and you're in an island, basically on vacation, I mean, you packed a weekend bag, so you don't have a lot of items, <laughs> but you're on vacation. I know you must miss people, but you're watching the world go through this extreme hardship. Is it which side do you take? Do you want to join it and go home or do you want to stay in a maskless, safe environment? Yeah, it's a hard choice and a really good question. And I think that was the hardest thing for me. One of the hardest things for me during that time was to see everyone suffering around me and like not being able to help and not being able to be in there. And like, I, you know, had I had the choice, I would actually have rather been in there and been in it with everyone because I think, you know, I'd rather, yeah, I'd rather be going through that with my friends and family and stuff. But I I felt like at that time, I didn't have the choice because 
nothing really made sense. It did, nothing made sense for me to, I mean, I tried, I tried to leave. That was, you know, one of the periods where I tried to leave was when I was like, you know, I want to be there with my family. Um, I want to be there with my friends and stuff. Um, and it was really tricky. And I think like it was such a contradiction of like, you know, you've got this gorgeous beach and like I was so lucky where I was living because what happened was um weirdly enough my first week in Tonga a typhoon came um and uh basically flooded the house that I was living in through a series of weird things that then happened um some neighbors down the street they had a house that they were looking at from some Americans who own it, their friends, um, and the Americans couldn't get back into Tonga. So basically they were like, we have this house that needs house sitting. It has four dogs. Do you wanna? Um, and so I got this house, which is like right on the beach. You know, I could stay there for free, obviously, um, cause I was like helping house sitting and I was looking after the dogs and stuff. So that was a lifesaver. I couldn't have done it without it, but it was this massive contrast of like literally sitting on this beach that was like all to myself, these gorgeous turquoise waters and the dogs and this amazing picturesque lifestyle but like none of it was real like it's not it's not my life it's not real and then you know on the other side you have all of your friends and family in pain and suffering and stuff like that like yeah it's tricky and it's hard to watch from afar not being able to do anything you mentioned a bit ago that you had some struggles mentally what do you think brought that on do you feel like maybe it was that internal struggle it was so bizarre, you know, I, I think d definitely it was. The first bit that was really tricky for me was the COVID stuff. Like, just, I don't know what it was, but I remember, I still, I, and I still don't know what it is today, you know, but I remember like talking to my boss and stuff on the phone and it, just the thought of like hazmat suits and mask wearing and stuff like that. It was, it was just making me really anxious. And I, I was speaking to my boss and like, I just broke down in tears and like, I, I never, I never like break down in tears in front of anyone, let alone like my boss. So I like, it was just freaking me out all of, all of the talk about COVID. So that was the first thing. And then the second thing was definitely like, um, was being so, like alone and like I don't mean physically alone and stuff like that because I like my own space I really love living by the on the beach by myself and stuff but I think like on the one hand like no one can relate to my situation and what I was going through at that time because no one was going through it it was a very unique thing and then also all my friends and family they were going through the same thing and they they were doing that together and then also I was in this country that I didn't really know anyone. There were very, very limited, there, there were very limited people that I knew. And when, whilst I did have some people who were, you know, really important to me, my next door neighbors, they were like amazing. And they looked after me and stuff. You know, it still wasn't my life. It wasn't my home and stuff. So I felt very alone, I think. Yeah. And living a life that you know isn't permanent. So you can't yes. do very much here sort of just floating day by day being like well this could all go away tomorrow so I can't root anything exactly and actually my like once it's stuck the the part the point from which it started to get better was actually when I decided okay you know what I'm going to stop trying to leave I'm just gonna like accept that this is like my life here so 
you know, I stopped trying to leave and I set up roots at least a little bit. You know, I said to myself, because I started a master's there actually, and I wasn't supposed to do like the master's in Tonga, but I started it online. I basically said, okay, I will do at least the first like six months here and then see about leaving. And so once I'd like resolved myself to stay for at least six months, it was then a lot easier to kind of set up stuff. At least a routine. If you're doing a master's program, you can set up the routine for day to day and make it feel somewhat normal. But yeah. that can't be easy to be like packed for a weekend. You have to get all new stuff. And then just the stuff that comes up throughout the year. You probably imagined a birthday celebration with friends and you yeah. had Christmas celebrations or holiday celebrations. And the way that we imagine our lives, you know, basic things like a yearly doctor's appointment or dentist appointment, like mm. those little things, you're like, well, I guess that's not happening. Yeah. And I think like for me, I mean, I'm used to moving around a lot. So those things are not so frustrating, but for sure, like it's just, it is nice having that routine and knowing what is coming next, at least for the next couple of months or something. Yeah. So I've noticed you travel a lot. What instigated the original let's travel the world let's see everything it sounds like you worked a bit in China have you worked everywhere you've gone that's a good question what kind of started it all actually I didn't really travel abroad until I was about 16 and I think what fueled it and what fuels continues to fuel my travel is my passion and love for learning about new things learning about new cultures and I think like you know you can pick up a textbook any day but for me like just walking around the streets of a random city or you know a new country I can learn so much um, and I think that really inspires inspires me and fuels me to travel more yeah I don't work everywhere that I've been to um, at all actually I moved First, when I was 18 was the first time that I moved abroad and I went to Austria in Europe um, and there I worked. So I was um, a uh, what's it called? A nanny, like a live in nanny, um, an au pair. So oh, I lived nice. with the family. Yeah. And that's when I basically took a gap year, like from high school to university. Um, so I lived there for a year and then I went back to university and university was languages. So my other love for travel and stuff is actually languages because I love speaking to people and learning about cultures and stuff. So I did German and Japanese. And from that, I um, spent a year in Japan. And it was during my year in Japan that I spent a lot of time in East Asia. I kind of fell in love with the culture here. And I first went to North Korea. And then that's how the North Korea stuff started, basically. I And that was when I was living in China, because in order to get into North Korea, you have to first live in China, um, or you have to go from China, at least. Yeah. Um, and so that's where that all started. But I've also lived in um, Zimbabwe as well for about three months. So I think those are all the countries that I've lived in. But otherwise, I try and I try and travel slow. I don't like the whole like try and do as many countries as possible. But um, yeah, I don't definitely don't have enough time to live in them all for an extended period of time. I feel like we're very similar because I love traveling about and just seeing mm. being fully immersed in a place, feeling like it's not a tourist destination for me I want to be right. as integrated into the local system as possible but I mm. never have the time to really fully integrate and I feel like your 18 month accidental integration <laughs> would have been probably perfect because I'm like oh, I never have the time and that's like such a isolated experience but I've always mm. dreamed of living abroad somewhere and where would you go 
For me, okay, I've thought about this a lot because I have two or three countries that I've been to that I felt like I made sense there. I just feel like I love every aspect of it and I can envision that life. And they are Mm -hmm. Spain and Vietnam. And they're wildly different, but I just Mm -hmm. found that both just my soul made sense there. Um, have you ever been to Vietnam? Has that? I have been to Vietnam. Yeah, I, I did. Yeah, I, I really like it though. It's beautiful, but I didn't spend much time there. So I can understand where that feeling comes from. It's so welcoming and I just loved everything about it. But North Korea is one that not many people get to go to. <laughs> how, yeah. It's a bit how did of an that odd make one. it onto the list? <laughs> Um, a very good question as well. So I was, this was the time when I was planning my trip in Southeast Asia. So uh, when I was in Japan, I was basically planning a trip all throughout Southeast Asia. It was around this time that I I was speaking to like a lot of Japanese people and like my Japanese friends and stuff, they would all be like, oh, you're from the UK. That's so cool. We'd love to go to the UK, but it's too dangerous at the moment. And they were saying that because around that time in the UK and in Europe, we were going through like, um, we had like um, a few terrorist attacks um, and we were going through like this kind of um, terrorism crisis um, and our, our um, what's it called? Terrorism alert was actually at like the highest it's ever been. But I had just come from the UK and like, I was not feeling any of that. You know, it's always different when you're actually in the country, depending on what the media says, um, as as opposed to what the media says, right? And so... I basically was really shocked to have all my Japanese friends talk about the UK like it was like a war zone, you know, they were too scared to go there. And I was like, that's my own country. And, you know, how can you say that? And I realized it's basically from a lot of what the media was saying, the Japanese media. And so I went home and I decided to challenge myself on a country that I have preconceptions of purely based on what I've heard from the media. Um, and so I looked up North Korea and I was like, North Korea, that's pretty scary. I think that's terrifying. Um, can you even go there as a tourist? I looked it up. Looks like you can. And so I decided to integrate North Korea into my um, East Asia travels. I had basically two months off university when I was in Japan and yeah, just kind of traveled at all. That was when I first went to Vietnam, Cambodia and stuff like that. And then I made my way up um, through Hong Kong and China and then Beijing um, to start my tour to North Korea. And what was your first experience there? For me, just before we dig into that, I have always said something very similar where I went to Israel. And Mm -hmm. when I went, everybody was like, that's so unsafe. And when I was in Israel, I told people I was from the U.S. I grew up outside D.C. And people were like, it seems so unsafe. One person (laughs) in particular that I was with, he was one of the guides for us through um, Israel. He just kept saying, oh, my mom would never be okay with me going to the U.S. It's just too unsafe. Mm -hmm. And I realized all they're getting is videos on the media of kids in school shooting each other. And politics, like the way that we're just fighting with each other, all of that is what they're getting in the media. And what we're Mm -hmm. getting is suicide bombers and conflicts with other nations. And when you're there, it's so peaceful. It's not like that at all. What was your first impression when you landed in North Korea? You summed it up pretty nicely. That's exactly what it's like. You know, we have these big preconceptions about North Korea um, and that it's this terrifying country. We only hear about the missiles and the weapons and the dictators and stuff like that. But when you get there, I think, and this is one of the reasons why I really love doing the job I do, which, you know, is tour guiding in North Korea, right? 
And I love it because I can see the expressions on people's faces when they first get out of the train station in Pyongyang and they're like, oh, this is kind of normal. <laughs> you know, like it's, you get out of the train station, no one really cares about you. Like everyone, it's busy, it's packed, everyone's rushing around. It's probably rush hour because you get there at like 5 p.m. Everyone's finishing work, getting home and life is going on without you being the center of it and there's no craziness around you there's no missiles and stuff so it's very very different and I you know I always I'll always say this and it's kind of a bit of a joke but um you know people ask me is it safe to visit North Korea and they talk about you know how unsafe it could be and I'm like I grew up in Liverpool in England and like Liverpool has a bit of a reputation for being a very dodgy city and so I'll always say it's safer than Liverpool you know (laughs) you don't have to worry about people you don't have to you can walk around at night and be safe you don't have to worry about pickpockets you don't have to worry about people shouting at you annoying stuff from across the street you know so in a lot of ways um it's a very safe country to visit but there are obviously rules that you have to follow yeah when people ask that because I travel solo a lot and in my trip in 2020 and I was going alone and I was going for about five weeks and everybody Mm. was like do you feel unsafe when you're traveling alone I live in Los Angeles. I feel yeah. <laughs> more unsafe day to day walking streets of like downtown Los Angeles totally. than I ever did walking in a city by myself abroad. I lived alone yes. here for three years. Nobody was like, don't you feel unsafe? It's only when you're somewhere else. Totally. And I, I don't think that's misplaced confidence at all. I think that that's, you know, that's a true. In Asia, in a lot of countries in East Asia, it's incredibly safe. And I feel the same in the UK, you know, I go back and it actually it happened. I be, it was really funny when I got back from Tonga, I had been like out of the UK for, I guess, like two or three years. And I hadn't been back. Um, I'd been like in Asia, just in China, traveling East Asia, whatever. And then Tonga for the past year and a half, I got back to the UK and I'd like forgotten how to be. And I made two massive mistakes um, that just, it shocked me. I was like, wow, okay this is how unsafe the UK is but I'd forgotten about it the first one was um I went like I went clubbing with a friend and you know I was outside at like 4 a.m when you know we were finished partying whatever we were going home and like he was like okay like I'll go home I'll see you later so I was like okay see you later and then I was like okay now I'm just gonna like walk home or get a taxi home get the bus home and then I realized like I was walking through the streets of London going to the bus stop and I was like hold on I'm not supposed to be like doing this by myself as a woman like usually I would be like calling my friends or something like in the past when I was in the UK you know like if I'm walking by myself at 4am then I would be calling with a friend or at least let someone know like you know share my location or something but anyway I got to the bus stop and then like this a couple of guys started to approach me and stuff and I was like oh I feel very unsafe and I like I've put myself in this unsafe situation because I wasn't used to it It's that feeling in your gut where you, as a woman, you just know it instinctually, you feel it. And when I was around, you know, all the countries in Asia, I never once had that feeling. Yeah, definitely. And like the second one was, again, I was out, I was out at a pub, um, at a bar um, and I had my mobile phone on the table and I basically like put it on the table and was dancing like next to the table with my friends and then I looked back at the table and my phone was gone 
And I think like that's just such a typical thing to happen in the UK and in London. Like, and such it was so stupid of me. Like, my friends were like, Of course you don't put your phone on the table. But I'm just like, why does that have to be the norm? Like, why, you know, is the UK so unsafe? Like, why do I have to worry about people pickpocketing me all the time when I've just like, you know, I could leave my I in Taiwan, I leave my MacBook on the table in the coffee shop and then I can go do my shopping and I would come back. It's still there. You know, I literally do that. (laughs) Yes. So I think there isn't really a way to make people understand this without having Mm. them go. Yeah. Yeah. But I could talk to you forever about travel (laughs) and all of your experiences. But I want to ask you now just some random questions and whatever comes to mind, that's the answer. Okay. (laughs) What is one life lesson you've had to learn over and over again? That you're constantly going to make mistakes and that you're never going to grow up. Like every year I'm like, oh yeah, last year I was grown up. And like this year I'm not. And I think that happens year on end. Like no one grows up. (laughs) Yes. That happens to me too. Even moment to moment where like, I'll figure something out and I'm like, Oh, Mm. I've totally got this down now. And then it changes Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. slightly. And I'm like, okay, I did not know it then, but I do know it now. (laughs) Yeah. And now I'm almost 30. I'm like, you know, I, I look back at when I would like look up to my parents who, you know, were like, around 30 like I remember my parents being around 30 or 35 and thinking wow they are adults but like now I'm almost there I'm like oh yeah no one grows up ever no and no one has their shit together ever ever (laughs) what's your favorite thing that you own that's under 20 dollars or 20 pounds Ooh, um my favorite um my favorite thing that I've ever owned that's under 20 pounds if I can answer it like this Um, is currently at the bottom of the ocean somewhere in the South Pacific because I basically my last one of my last trips to North Korea was in uh, like December January 2020 and I basically got um, I bought a diary there and then I basically got all of my friends and colleagues to like write like a happy new year note into it and then as I kind of mentioned at the start here uh, or somewhere in between a typhoon basically came and flooded my house it took that diary with it so that was one of my most prized possessions. I absolutely love that, but never mind. It's just things. Yeah, but nothing teaches you that more than a typhoon. But with so much uncertainty, mm. it must have been so devastating to have everything, the little bit of possessions you had wiped away. Exactly. And that that was the main point is that like I already had like very few things and then to have everything else get washed away, I was like that's frustrating luckily enough I am I still have my laptop so I could still do some work (laughs) yeah I'd I'd literally gone downstairs to go and make a coffee and brought my laptop back upstairs with me because the um, gas cooker was not working because already the storm had started and so I was like well I'm not having a coffee down here so I brought my laptop up and then like about five minutes later the whole downstairs got flooded so yeah wow (laughs) That was, that was that was intense luck. And side note, what happened when you were in Fiji and they you didn't come back? Did the hotel you left your stuff in just hold it for you? Super lucky. So basically, I'd gone surfing and I'd made friends with like a surfing instructor. And basically, very long story short, once the repatriation flights from Fiji to Tonga started, which was about nine months in, um, he helped me send my um, luggage as cargo. Uh, yeah. So basically thanks to him, I got all my stuff back. Honestly, the best friends I've made in the world are the ones I meet randomly while traveling. 
totally and like you meet such pure people who like are so selfless yeah yeah what is one thing about this moment in your life right now that if you could you would carry it for the rest of your life the feeling the constant feeling of wanting to explore an adventure I think that I have that at the moment and like the learning the learning of new culture like I just got to Taiwan so I'm learning one new culture and the new language and I think like I never want to lose that like even if I stop traveling I never want to lose that learning about people and cultures and stuff yeah I love that yeah Yeah. is there any decision you've ever made that you would make differently it's tricky because I always say that I have no regrets and I say that because I feel like everything um you know everything that I've done previously is is made me into what I am today so whilst I would say that I have no regrets and I wouldn't do things differently there are a couple of things that I don't know I would say genuinely many with guys that I probably yeah, I probably would have done different. I would have probably just given up on a lot of guys a lot quicker. Um, that's probably, I wish I'd have made those decisions um, stronger. Um, and I wish I'd have done, because that's just time wasting. And I can say that to be like, oh yeah, but it's built me into what I am today. But in reality, I'm like, nah, I should have just left them way earlier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Zoe, thank you so much. This is like a dream come true. And I am just so thrilled that I got to talk to you because lovely it's been two years. <laughs> yeah, no, lovely to chat and have someone who, who shares the passion for travel because, you know, it, it may seem that like there's a lot of us around the world, but like really like when you're not traveling and stuff, you don't get to speak about travel a lot. So yeah, yeah and lovely honestly, the kindred spirit, I have been so inspiring as I follow your page. So thank you so uh-huh, much for sharing you. that. Yeah, my pleasure. I hope I hope you get to make it over to Taiwan at some point. It's on my list, I promise. <laughs> mm. Everyone everyone loves Taiwan. There is it's like Japan, like there is not one person who like comes to Taiwan and hates it. So, you'll love it. <laughs> That's a perfect endorsement. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> can you tell everybody where to find you? As you can find me on, on my social medias on at Zoe Discovers um, or at Zoe Discovers NK for the North Korea stuff. And you can find me on TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, all the things, but mainly on Instagram. Yeah, that's where you can contact me. Seriously, guys, follow her because the content's <laughs> incredible. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, you thanks so, so much. much. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. That is such a good episode, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you want to follow Zoe, which I highly recommend, follow her on Instagram, and you can see all of her current travels, including her recent new residence in Taiwan, which I've been fascinated by. I hope you guys have an incredible week. This is the first episode of another full season, so please come back because we've got nine more episodes to go. See you guys soon. That's all for today's episode. Check back in next week to talk a little more shit with me. In the meantime, be sure to grab your copy of Shit Adults Never Taught Us on Amazon and Barnes & Noble to learn all the shit adults never taught us. And in case no one told you this week, you're killing it. So keep going, you genuine badass.